Welcome to another episode of Cold Dominion, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jazz, and this week's episode, we are going to talk about the Hargan family murders. Now, this case actually takes place in Northern Virginia, Fairfax to be exactly, but we're actually going to start um, across the country. We're going to start in Dallas, Texas with this case. So on July 14th of 2017, Carlos Gutierrez makes a call to the authorities Um, He calls 911 because he's having something very weird happen um, with his girlfriend, Helen Hargan. Helen Hargan is 23 years old, and she's currently living in Fairfax, Virginia with her mom, Pam Hargan, who is 63 years old. And she's living there as she prepares to move into a home of her own that her mom has actually gifted her. Her mom has bought her this house, and she's going to be moving there. And the goal basically is that Carlos, who's still in Texas at the time, will eventually move out there. So on July 14th of 2017, Carlos calls the authorities and he says he's getting several weird messages from his girlfriend and he believes that her life may actually be in danger. Um, He discusses the nature of the text and basically says that, you know, something is definitely wrong in the house. When he says this to the 911 dispatcher, they tell him, look, you need to contact your local authorities, have them get in contact with us because we need some sort of formal write-up to actually do um, a well a welfare check on this home. So he feels like he's getting the runaround all day. He's calling um, multiple times. He actually calls back and he said, look, I think that her life may be in danger. Something is definitely wrong. So eventually authorities make their way to the home of 63-year-old Pamela Hargan. Um, Pamela is sharing the home with her daughter, Helen, who I mentioned, who's 23. Her daughter, Megan, who is 34, Megan Hargan is also living at the home with her eight-year-old daughter, Molly, while her husband is actually deployed. So they're all living in the home. And when they get there, the authorities find Pamela Hargan deceased in her mudroom. She's wrapped in a blanket. I believe the blanket is um, pretty covered in blood. And then when they explore the house some more, they actually find 23-year-old Helen Hargan also deceased. Um, So that is Carlos's girlfriend. He had called the authorities. He thought something weird was going on. And it turns out his suspicions were actually correct. So after they discover Helen Hargan in the bathroom, they discover that there's actually a rifle in between her legs and based on the scenery they begin to surmount that this is most likely a murder suicide Um, they believe that Helen must have killed her mother and they're just trying to find out answers they're also wondering where is Megan Hargan and Molly Hargan because they also are aware that they live in the home Um, eventually they do make contact with Megan and find out that her and Molly are okay and they begin to interview the family so um, Megan and Helen actually have another sister named Ashley Hargan who's 32 at the time of this incident. So when they interview Megan and Ashley as, you know, sort of the surviving members of this family, um, Pamela had been divorced from their father for some years. So this part of the family, they were just really all each other had. Um, So when they interview them, they basically both relay that Helen had expressed some ideas of maybe being suicidal or having the potential to harm herself. And Megan actually takes it a step further and she lets the cops know there was a situation going on on where this home that Pamela Hargan was going to be buying for her daughter, Helen, she basically had told her, look, if you think your boyfriend Carlos is going to move out here, you're not going to get that home. Megan told the authorities that this had caused a lot of stress with Helen and that that very day, 
Pamela had told her daughter, Helen, I'm not going to pay for this house for you anymore. Um, it's just not going to happen. So all of these reasons are starting to come up as to explain why this murder suicide may have happened. So as time goes on, this is Fairfax, Virginia. It's a fairly large area. The news is spreading that this case has occurred and someone is watching the news and whoever is watching the news happens to work for a bank that Pamela Hargan used. And when they watch and see that Pamela Hargan is deceased, they automatically have that, you know, pit of your stomach, the drop feeling of, oh my God, I need to make a call. So they call authorities and they say, listen, we've seen that this is being reported as a murder suicide, but something has actually been going on because in the days leading up to this murder, apparent murder suicide, I should say, there had been a call to Pamela Hargan to let her know that someone had attempted to wire $400,000 out of her account the day prior. You see, someone had called and actually impersonated Pam and had actually passed all the security questions, but at the last minute, the bank was able to block the transfer. They actually called the actual Pamela Hargan who confirmed that was not me who tried to do that. So when the bank notifies the authorities of that, they start thinking, okay, well, you know, Megan had mentioned that Helen really wanted to get this house, but maybe that was her. Maybe this is more of a motive. So of course they asked to obtain the records of the call. And when they do so, they actually hear on the call that the voice is not Helen Hargan. The voice is that of Megan Hargan. And when they hear that, they're really confused because after they interview Megan and Ashley, Megan tells the authorities that she was just living with her mom temporarily because her and her husband had actually just purchased their own home in West Virginia and they were going to be relocating there after his deployment. Well, when they do some investigating, it turns out that that wasn't true at all. And then they also decide to look back into Carlos Gutierrez's calls. So, one thing that Carlos mentioned to the call to the dispatcher when he was trying to make a welfare check on his girlfriend, Helen, is that he says, I received a text from my girlfriend saying that her sister Megan killed her mom. And the dispatcher kind of just takes this as like, okay, this sounds weird. Your girlfriend sends you that as a text. She's not sending a text for help. She's not leaving the house. She's just sitting there like, is this a prank? She's not really taking him seriously. And he says to her, you know, I can tell that she was scared. I talked to her on the phone and she's not leaving and I don't know why, but something's definitely going on. So when they get all of this information together, the cops are like, okay, we obviously need to interview Megan again. None of this is adding up. None of this is making sense. So the cops, while also doing a search of the property um, after the murders, they find a sheet of paper that has all of Pamela Harden's informa Hargan, excuse me, information on it. So it has all of her bank account numbers, all of her passwords, her logins, and they think that's really weird. And as much as they want to grab it to get it as evidence, the type of warrant that they have at the time does not cover them being able to take those types of materials. So they just make a mental note of that. And when they leave and get to come back later with the correct warrant, they actually notice that that piece of paper is completely gone. So that's something that really stands out to them. So 
As time goes on, they're taking a closer look at Megan. They have all of this new information and they actually end up interviewing Megan. And when they interview Megan, they first call her on the phone and they ask her how she's doing. And basically Megan, she kind of takes it a step further and she says, I want to come in. I want to know everything that you all know. I want to be as involved in this investigation as I can. So the cops, of course, welcome that they have her come in. Um, so July 19th, this is five days after the shootings. Basically, the detectives bring Megan in for an interview and this interview lasts for over four hours. And I've seen the uh, um, excuse me, I've seen reports of the detectives being interviewed and they said that they could not get Megan to stop talking. She was giving all of this information willingly. They did not have to really ask her much. And basically, they let her talk herself into a corner and then they confront her with, hey, we have some suspicion that you were the person who was trying to transfer funds from your mom's account. And she admits it. She's confronted with the evidence. They tell her, hey, we have a recording of you doing this. So Monday, July 17th um, is actually when the bank left a voicemail for the detective, letting them know that, like I said, $400,000 had been attempted to be withdrawn from Pam Hargan's account. So when they confront her with this, and they also have footage of her at the actual bank, she admits it. She doesn't deny it whatsoever. And basically after that, they have nothing on her. Really, all they have is this attempt to try to steal her mom's money, but nothing more besides that. So they have no choice but to let her go. So over the next 16 months, the cops launched a complete investigation into Megan Hargan and everything that she's been up to leading up to the murder around the time of the murder and after the murder. Because after she gets let out, Megan does not decide to stick around. Megan decides the best thing she needs to do is to get out of town. So her and her husband actually end up securing a VA loan and they end up moving to West Virginia for this roughly almost a year and a half time period. So during the time of the cops investigation, they start looking at the timeline again of events. They realize that around 11 a.m. is when Carlos started getting those texts from Helen, basically saying, hey, something's going on. My sister's acting weird. And then as time goes on, he gets the call saying, hey, I think that Megan's pretty much gone off the deep end. She's killed my mom. My mom is deceased. So one thing that I mentioned earlier is that the question that everyone has is, okay, if Megan killed her mom and then her sister and her sister was alive at some point, why didn't she leave? Well, Carlos seems to have the explanation. And as an aunt, I got this instantly. He said her niece was there. You know, she had an eight-year-old niece still in the house. If she's witnessed her sister murder their mom, she's probably like, this woman is capable of anything. And she's thinking maybe she can protect her niece if she stays there. So I instantly got that. Another thing that happens is that Carlos Gutierrez, by the way, is such a key to this case. He really provides so many details and really helps strengthen the timeline for this. So he mentions that at some point after he gets the initial text and phone calls from Helen, he gets a message 
message from Helen's phone that basically says, everything's all right. I'm not mad at my sister. There's nothing to worry about. And there's a total tone shift in the text. And this is addressed in so many different cases. The way that we text, and it's so crazy how our tone and the way we communicate can be translated in writing. I know different texts from my sister by the way that she texts. And I think if someone texted me from her phone, I would instantly know if it was her or not. So I'm sure that, you know, this was his girlfriend. He knows how she texts and he instantly thought this is weird. Also, he had just gotten a call from his girlfriend saying, hey, she killed our mom. He's not going to, she's not going to text after that saying everything's okay. And I think another thing that kind of backed up that maybe this is Megan sending the messages from the phone is that when Helen stated that her mother had been murdered by her sister, she didn't do so via text. She did so by calling. So when Megan broke into Helen's phone, Megan probably saw just the messages of something's going on with my sister. I don't know what's happening and just thought that that was all that was said. So as the crime scene is investigated, I initially said it wasn't just, you know, some assumption that there was a murder-suicide. Cops had actually put out a statement and relate that this scene was a murder-suicide and actually notified the next of kin that this was potentially a murder-suicide based on the surroundings. So when an autopsy is done, they basically are able to determine that the bullet wound that Helen has went to an entry point in the top of her skull and actually went down her head. So when they look at that, they think to themselves, okay, if the path of the bullet is from the top of her head leading down into her neck and the position that she's in this type of rifle, it'd be impossible for her to shoot herself in the head. So this was just more strengthening to the case that someone else had to have done this. And the only other person in that house was Megan Hargan. So another thing that they notice is that Obviously, Helen's phone had been used by her that day. Carlos had confirmed that he had talked to her. But when they take a look at her phone, there are no fingerprints whatsoever on her phone. Also, speaking of phones, when they discover the body of Pamela Hargan in her mudroom, the body actually has a phone on top of its wrapped body. So her body is wrapped in a blanket and then her phone is found on top of that blanket. So someone put that on top of her. Obviously she was not holding her phone herself and then wrapped in a blanket. So that was another thing that was really weird for the detectives. Not to mention they have this footage of Megan Hargan attempting to steal $400,000 from her mom. So as I said, 16 months after the incident, they actually go ahead and decide, hey, I think that we have enough evidence, even if most of it is circumstantial, to go ahead and charge Megan Hargan. And when they do this, they get uh, basically a warrant to search her facilities and they find lots of evidence. But one of the main things that they find is that she has that sheet with all of her mom's passwords on it there. Now, over the course of the 16 months, I think that she had made a couple of attempts to collect insurance money from her mom, but after it became clear that this was an open case, she just went ahead and left that alone. Like I said, her and her husband got a VA loan. They moved to West Virginia. She was definitely trying to leave all of this behind her. So this is a long awaited arrest. So 2018, November of 2018 is when she is arrested. So it's more than three years later 
that she actually goes to trial because after this of course we have COVID which caused some delays of its own but it takes three years for her to go to trial and Megan's defense is very very unique so prosecutors are basically attacking Megan and saying Megan was so desperate for this money to get her home that she was willing to do anything and another thing that's just my personal opinion I think that it's really hard to ignore the fact that Pam is buying a house for one daughter and not for the other and a lot of people are like why was she getting the house why was the other daughter not was why was the other daughter not getting a home we may never know that but I'm sure that that sort of jealousy was also a driving factor for Megan um this type of you know cruelty and this type of case with like this level of violence towards a family member it's a lot more than one incident that just makes them tip over I think it's a lot of things that boil up to this point so I think that that played a key role but Basically, Megan Hargan's defense, the attorneys come up with their own story of how this happened. They say, look, the evidence still is the same. We see what the prosecution sees. We see that, you know, Pam Hargan is found dead. We see that Megan Hargan is not in the home at the time of the incident and she makes it out alive. But we also see that Helen Hargan is found with this bullet wound and the gun in her possession. And the defense argues, well, the way she shot herself was simple. She pulled the trigger with her toe. You heard that right. So even the prosecution's expert, they, you know, recreate the scenario and they say, listen, it does not seem likely like this woman took her hands and used a gun to shoot herself in the head. But it is not without the realm, within, without of the realm of possibility that she couldn't have done this by using her toe to pull the trigger. Now, it's not likely, but it is possible. So that was what her defense was going on. They were going on a toe on the trigger defense, and that's what Megan's freedom was riding on. So this trial goes on, and there's lots of forensic experts doing all types of reenactments, um, showing different ways that they think this crime has been committed. But the prosecutors just say, look, you need to just look at the evidence for how it is. Megan Hargan tried to take this money out. Megan Hargan lied about that. Look at the pattern of text with Carlos Gutierrez. Carlos also, when he gets on stand on the stand, you actually see way more details about the phone calls. And he really paints a picture about how scared Helen was in those final moments and I think that just goes to further show that she was in fear for her life but more so her niece's life and she was not about to abandon her or risk her own life or her niece's life if she had a chance of saving it so it just makes this case that much more traumatic so after all of this time and all of the evidence that is gathered the jury has to deliberate and decide is Megan guilty of these crimes did she really murder her mom and her little sister and I'm sure for her other sister Ashley this was really really hard so after the crimes first happened Ashley you know she says I think that my sister had some bouts with depression she was referring to Helen and when it's revealed that Carlos mentions that you know Helen said Megan did this Ashley's like there's no way that Megan could do this and of course she probably didn't want to believe it she just lost her mom and sister you don't want to think that your other sister is capable of this at all so I think she was just you know trying to protect what little bit of peace that she had but she gets on the stand and Ashley says you know she has PTSD from this it's horrible enough that she's lost her mom and sister but there's also a murder in her family so it's just a lot of trauma for everyone there 
So the jury goes on to deliberate after a three-week trial, and then after two days of deliberation, they reach a verdict, and they find Megan Hargan guilty for the murder of her mom, Pam, and her sister, Helen. The jury recommends that she receive a life sentence for each count of murder. So after that time, there's, you know, a lot of emotions in the courtroom. Even the family members, you want justice, but that's still your other family members. So I'm sure there were so many mixed emotions, but things get really heated when on November 9th of 2022, a judge actually overturns Megan's double murder conviction. And the reason the judge overturns this conviction is that they cite juror misconduct. So apparently during the deliberation, one of the jurors tried to reenact the Helen Hargan shooting by using a rifle and saying that I did this reenactment myself and this was absolutely not possible like there's no way that it could be done so basically what I for my research the reason that this was cited as juror misconduct is that the decision could have been impacted by what the juror demonstrated and not what was demonstrated during the actual trial itself um, by the actual, you know, prosecutors and defense team. So they cite jury misconduct and they reschedule um, Megan Hargan's trial for September 5th for 2023 of last year. So she's retried and the court comes to the same conclusion that they did the first time. So on September 22nd of last year, Megan Hargan is found guilty once again um, for the two counts of first degree murder for the shooting deaths of her mom and her sister. So this has been um, just a case that really, really is shocking because if you look at the full timeline for 16 months, Megan Hargan got to go free and got to start her life and get another home, which that was another thing that already, you know, it always stood out to me. If you could have gotten this VA loan to get a home in the first place, why would you do this? You know, why would you go through all of this? Even if you would have been successful stealing your mother's money, what would have been your next step? She was going to find out no matter how much money she has, she would have noticed the $400,000 being missing. And I've read reports that at the time that Megan did that, she actually only had $30 in her name. So the reason she had even gotten that far in the process to purchase the original home she was trying to get is that Megan had actually used her mom's banking information and somehow edit it and put her own name on it so she could get approved to the stage. And so she had went through all of these hoops and she ended up getting a different house with a VA loan and living her life like it was normal. Like your life went on without this and you still made this permanent decision against your family. And then to blame Helen, like I cannot get over that. That is her baby sister. So she's 34. Helen is 23. She's almost 10 years younger than you, um, over 10 years younger than you. That's your sister. You're supposed to be protecting her. I think that jealousy just took over Megan in this case. Nothing else could be more of a motive. I don't think that the money of the ho- for the house was a big enough motive. I think that she had some sort of resentment and probably living in close quarters with her mom and sister again may have brought back some childhood memories. You know, who knows? But either way, there's no excuse for her actions. And what she did, I think, has put her in the exact place that she needs to be. Um, she's serving Uh, Like I said, she's been sentenced to two life sentences for the murders of her mom and her sister. So 
That was the case of the Hargan family murders. We discussed the murders of 23-year-old Helen Hargan and 63-year-old Pam Hargan. Um, like we stated, these two women were from Fairfax, Virginia, and um, this case, we're so glad that they actually obtained justice. Some of the cases we're going to discuss on this podcast, there will not be justice yet. Some of the cases are unsolved. Some of the cases we'll have where they've been to trial and people have been acquitted. So we have a lot more to discuss. And all that I ask is that you remember to stay warm because it's colder than you think out there. Thanks, guys.